Thanks for listening to I'dRatherBeWriting.com. Today we have a podcast with podcast with Scott Marvin, uh, a technical writer based in Oregon. Scott, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I've uh, been in soft, software documentation for about 20 years. Uh, started with financial software and uh, about the past seven years I've been in cloud computing. Uh, Amazon Web Services, and now with a startup called Eucalyptus um, that does private cloud computing that is AWS or Amazon Web Services compatible. Um, that's about as exciting as it gets right there. Now, you've been doing API documentation for 15 years or so, right? Now, that's correct. How would you compare the trends? Like, was were APIs really prevalent 15 years ago, or are they much more prevalent today? I think they're much more prevalent today. Um, when I was tasked with uh, starting API documentation 15 years ago, I had no idea what was going on. I think actually the industry didn't. You know, there was this new protocol, SOAP, and people were talking about web services, and I was trying to figure out what the heck a web service was, and um, there was just, you know, nothing. And now it's just grown. It's crazy. They're all over the place. Platform as a service and infrastructure as a service and software as a service. And people are just trying to um, get other people or programs to connect to them. And uh, that just means a, a whole lot more um, documentation has to be done in that area. Now, let's start kind of at the beginning because this is sort of a basic topic. Um, what is an API? And can you give maybe an example? Sure. Uh, an API is uh, an acronym for Application Programming Interface, and it's a way to share data between either you know you or your software program and a software program or a service somewhere else. Um, you don't have to understand everything about the back end. They just have kind of like a, a, a middleware that you have to program into, and then they take care of all the nasty bits on the other side. And uh, It's basically a, a request from you and a response back, if any, from, from the program that you're interfacing with. And I'm sorry, Tom, what was the second part of your question? Oh, just uh, if you have maybe an example of anything. Yeah, there's a couple of just really uh, simple examples. Um, one is uh, Vimeo. Um, has one you can uh, these are kind of rest examples that you can use in a in a URL what I do is I, I send out in, in the URL this little path and I say who's you know who's in this video I, if I know the name and then it returns a statement back to me on the web page saying here's all the videos that this person is in and that's you know that's in its simplest form that's what I'm doing I'm I don't have to worry about how Vimeo encodes everything on the back end. I just say in the URL, give me this person's information, and it returns something. So uh, just to summarize, you're saying uh, an API is essentially um, it gives a response when a user asks, makes some kind of request. Uh, what sort of things is a tech writer responsible for with an API? Um, that really depends on the company and and the teams within the company. Um, in a nutshell, the technical writer is responsible for you know everything that is generated into the into the media that you're publishing. I mean, ultimately, we know that, but 
how we get that information really depends. Sometimes it may be in a in a in a functional spec, although those are far and few in between these days. When I find one now, I want to fall on my knees and weep with joy. Um, sometimes there uh, you'll get the information delivered in a uh, a design document, and sometimes there's nothing, and you have to go out and you know be Jimmy Olsen cub reporter. And you know, go and figure out what is this doing? Uh, why why are you writing this? What is the what do you anticipate the user doing with this? So uh, every once in a while, you have to come up with uh, code examples. Very few uh, API writers come up with their own code examples uh, these days. Some some people do, but um, usually your your job is editing them. And, and uh, one of the uh, colleagues here um, in in our chapter was asking more about this. So you mentioned that you know tech writers can get this information from functional specs. Sometimes they have to dig it out themselves. But uh, she was saying, you know, do tech writers really go into the code itself and extract all this information, or do do developers give them a lot of the information? And they just have to organize this this information into uh, a uh, a doc that people can consume actually uh both that that happens to be the case sometimes people give you all the information you need in a silver platter but to get the information um with apis usually isn't too difficult because uh, there's um there'll be some kind of discovery or dis discover language document that you can do either called a wisdle or a waddle which has, uh, you know, has a schema attached to it that really documents, uh, in, a, in, a, in a great schema, documents everything that a developer needs to know. Um, we usually take something like this. You can, if nobody gives you any information, you can take that document and kind of uh, flesh out a good API document. And sometimes that is the API document itself in, uh, in AWS, our documentation was resided with the same uh, code that generated the WSDL and the schema. And I'm, I'm realizing how dorky that sounds. <laughs> yeah, the, sorry about that. The WSDL and the Waddle. So these are these are uh, files that uh, are like specs for developers, or, or I'm a little confused about that. They're um, they're just, it's a describer of what that, that service or that web application does. WSDL means web services description language, and WADL is the web application description language. And those are usually files that you can go and programmatically look at and see what kind of what what form your request needs to make and what you can expect to get back as a response. Hmm. Okay. And it sounds really difficult. And it isn't. <laughs> I'm making it more difficult than it is. There's a little tool that I use called Oxygen. It's a fantastic XML editor. And that has a WSDL tool in that. You give it the URL of the WSDL, and it will go ahead and nicely, on the right side of, the, of your screen, say, hey, here's, here's all the operations that you can do with this service. And here's how your structure ought to be. And here's what you can expect to see back. Is, it, is that particular to a specific uh, language, an API in a specific language, or is that just th these WSDL and WADL files that you're talking about? Are these just general? Those are just general. Okay. So uh, here's a common question that I often hear related to API documentation. Uh, I hear people say, well, if I could, if I could 
uh, write code and read code, I'd be a developer. Uh, <laughs> so, so what's kind of the difference between reading versus writing code? That's a great question. And yeah, I, I think that um, the, that's a question that I still have after being, you know, doing this for 15 years. But I mean, ultimately, it's we communicate and we organize information really well. If we were coding, we would, I mean, I don't know that we'd have that other skill set. Um, most developers don't want you writing code for their um for code examples for the API. Uh, I was in one organization, I won't name which, but um, they paid a good, goodly amount of money for contractors, professional developers to come up with code examples, and they ended up scrapping them because they weren't good enough. And so if professional developers can't come up with something that you want to be proud of and that works right out of the box, there's no chance that, you know, even part-time developers like, you know, writers could be are going to do that. The most that I've ever been asked for is to is to um, edit from existing, like I take a Java uh, set of examples and make those into C sharp. And if you look at one and you know the other one, you can do it pretty easily. It's not like you're coming up with anything out of the blue. Then that's the most that now. One caveat is that there are API writers out there who do their own code examples. And maybe they're you know smart enough, but the, I've worked with some pretty smart people, and um, they usually aren't doing that. Hmm. That's that's interesting to hear, actually. I mean, I I think that uh, my experience has been somewhat the same. Um, anytime I attempt a code example, uh, usually the developer rewrites it. You know? <laughs> it. It's usually the simple ones that you know he's already shown me a pattern that that I can do. But uh, all right, so. Beyond just the API reference documentation, what else do you deliver as part of kind of this developer documentation package? I think the the next logical step is some kind of a, I mean, the, the API reference is just baseline. That's just bare minimum. You can say you covered your butt and, you know, it's documented. But after that, you want to probably give them some kind of developer tips or, you know, an old school guide if we're still in book form here. Uh, to say how to work these things together, um, what series of events have to happen, how would you develop a framework for uh, or a workflow for generating some of these things? Like, you know, uh, yeah, AWS shows you how to um, how to start or spin up a virtual machine out in the cloud, but what then? What do you do with it? And you know, when do you terminate it? Do you need more uh, machines, and at what point? And so that's what a developer guide is going to try to do to make you, to help you with a workflow and writing a framework. Um, after that is a, a, a good user guide for not necessarily people who are developing, but who are going to be using the API. Um, again, that I'm going to use the API to make a command to uh, terminate a virtual machine that's been going on and it's costing me a lot of money because I left it on for a month. Now, if you have API reference material and maybe you publish that with uh, some one of these tools that generate the documentation from the source code like Javadoc or Doxygen or Sandcastle, and you also have these other guides, these programming tutorials that, that are more narrative, uh, 
how do the two fit together? Do they are they in the same doc set uh, under the same search engine, or are they kind of like separate deliverables? Uh, it's been my experience that they've been separate deliverables um, in the you know the few places that I've worked at. I've seen um, people try to tie them all together into this you know one massive um, framework like an Eclipse help or a, a huge web help. Um, and uh, actually, we've we've gone to that. I, I'm uh, we just went to a, a kind of a one search engine for all the documentation kind of thing. And I think it depends on the needs of, you know, your readers, what, what, you, what you find out from them. Um, Amazon Web Services has them all kind of pars- parceled out by service and then also by what kind of guide. And they don't, they don't share a table of contents or anything, but they do share a massive search engine um, of, across all documentation. Now you actually use Ditta for for most of the information that that you write that are the the tutorials and other non reference information, right? That's correct. And how does that work out for you? Is that is it a good fit? Um, I Ditta and I have a detente now, so it's it's a decent fit. Um, I'm probably um, I'm not as happy with Ditta as I used to be with DocBook, and that's probably because I approach Ditta like I used like. Docbook. I probably speak Docbook as a primary language, and I'm trying to enforce those rules into Ditta. And I haven't um, learned better <laughs> than that. I like Ditta. I think that's where we're going. I like it, it, the simplicity of it. I just wish that like things, our tools, like our Ditta Open Toolkit, had had progressed a lot a lot further than it has. Yeah. So earlier you were talking about how there's, you know, there's different acronyms and and another common acronym that is often used is SDK. Uh so how does an SDK differ from an API? An SDK stands for a software developer or development toolkit. Um It's essentially uh, an API with bells and whistles. So all SDKs will have some kind of API but not all APIs are SDKs, uh, not to get so Socratic or anything like that, but uh, an SDK will, will have, the, besides the API documentation, will have some, a lot of, well, some or a lot of working code examples, some right out of the box that you just plug in your key or credential and you can start sending um, requests just right, right away. They help you. They, they'll either have some kind of toolkit or test harness to use the API within the SDK. Yeah. Um, another question. Uh, we talked about different backgrounds that people have. Uh, you mentioned some API writers are, are so you know high powered they actually write their own code examples. Others don't. What What are some different paths that people take uh, to get to doing API documentation? I've just noticed two paths, really. I mean, they're probably broad brushed out, but there, there's the writing path and the developer path. And, you know, the writing path is the one I took. I wrote for a long time, and someone said, hey, you, I need you to document this API. And I thought, well, I better get started on understanding this stuff. And the other way is a developer who, you know, for whatever reason decides that he, he or she wants to start writing instead of coding or 
they're committed to documenting their code so well that someone says, hey, I want you to document this API, and they find out for some odd reason that they like writing more than coding. Would you Do you think that uh, technical writers who have uh, writing backgrounds rather than development, development backgrounds are always going to be at a disadvantage compared to those uh, API writers that have the de- that come from the developer backgrounds. Uh, I don't think so, I, and maybe that's just uh, wishful thinking on my part because I come from that supposedly disadvantaged background. But I think what makes us writers uh, good in this in this area is uh, we have a lot of tenacity and. Um, uh, persistence. So we, you know, writers naturally inquisitive. Uh, we try to understand everything that we 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 put out, and in some ways, the writer of uh, an API uh, document may have more um, more understanding of how the whole service or the application works than just a developer who only works on one part of it. So in 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 one way, that one part the developer. Uh, knows that they're going to know that inside out. They're your subject matter expert. But uh, as far as the overall service, the writer is going to have uh, a better grasp of how everything ties together. And now, if somebody wanted to move into API documentation, uh, what would you recommend? And this is a tricky sort of question because a lot of times to get a job doing API documentation, you, you need experience uh, working with APIs or, or working with programming languages. So how does somebody move into this space? Um, I think that you just need to, to start reading and start using some APIs that are out there and start failing. And you'll, you know, hopefully fail miserably for a while because if you don't, I'm going to be really jealous. Um, then that's the way you do it. Start reading about the technology, start using it, and don't be afraid to fail. I, I uh, the embarrassing story about me when uh, not API oriented, but technology. I was trying to, you know, 15 years ago, trying to figure out how to edit XSL so that I could, you know, customize my docbook XML output. And it took me, I'm embarrassed to say, it took me two weeks before I, I figured out how to change one line on a title page. But that's the thing, you know. You don't need to be brilliant. You need to be persistent. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, sometimes I, I wonder if I'm just banging my head against the wall, <laughs> and if there's ever going to be this moment of clarity. But I, I have hope. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, it happens, but then things become fuzzy again. So it's just, it's a cycle. Uh, so let's see. Because this is sort of introductory, I just want to clarify different concepts. Um, One of these other concepts is SOAP versus REST. Can you explain what's the difference between the two? Yeah, there there are two ways of actually just doing the same thing. It's it's ways to pass your request, uh, the structure of your request. SOAP was kind of the original way to do this, I think back in 99 or so. Um, But... I, um, SOAP was kind of limited in what it could do. I think it was, you know, HTTP has, what, seven actions that it can do, and I think SOAP can only do two originally. I think it does all of them now. But it's really complicated and convoluted, and you've got to write things and put them in envelopes with a timestamp, and it's just, 
it's 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 very tough to do um, on the fly. Well, you do it on the fly, but it has to be kind of done programmatically. Whereas REST is pretty simple. It's uh, it's more straightforward. It's newer. Um, you can send a REST request again, like I mentioned earlier, over a URL and get something back. You don't have to worry about you know wrapping things correctly, things like that. Another difference is the content. SOAP is XML, and REST can be uh, either JSON or XML, in in my understanding of it. And so, uh, so REST is pretty much the common standard today. Do you think it has mostly replaced SOAP? Uh, it's going to. I'm not sure whether we're there yet. I know that um, uh, some some people are still using. I mean, SOAP is used a lot. But I think m more new, new services are being written in REST. And you said uh, the responses can be in a couple different ways, uh, JSON or XML. Can you talk a little yes. bit about that? What What is JSON, for example? Uh, JSON is just a, well, they're both text files. JSON is, stands for JavaScript Object Notation, and it's just a way to structure your text or your data that you're passing through or getting back. Um, it's, you know, has to be well-formed with it, like XML has to, but it's, it's just got a different structure to it. They're just based, but they're both text files. You can open them up in TextPad or whatever your text editor has and look at them. Uh, another uh, question is, uh, what's the difference between a REST API, like a web, web API that uses REST, versus a language-specific API, like a Java API? That is a great question, and I actually was looking at was looking at uh, was thinking about that, and um, I was talking to my wife, who is a software engineer, and I was thinking, you know, I never even thought of that those two as being different, but I think we decided that um, uh, REST tends to be used externally, used directly in an HTTP or curl. Uh, request uh, with the request response it's probably going to be over the internet and Java APIs can be used internally but it's just essentially bundled code bundled code that's shared uh, sometimes built on top of a REST API with the request response where it's more direct and not over the internet necessarily and I, you know that's broad strokes again but you know those can be some of the differences does that make sense? yeah yeah, yeah. um Totally. I, you know, I, I started a new job recently, and they've got all kinds of different APIs. It's, it's somewhat overwhelming. Uh, <laughs> like, but, um, yeah, there's a, this distinction, and, and yeah, I don't want to go too much into detail, but basically uh, the, the REST API, there's a lot of REST and web APIs that you see on the web that are just, you know, you can deliver a, a, a URL of some kind and get back a response, and then others that are more tied to languages um right uh, now let's speaking of the web often when you know when people look at api doc sites they pull up really beautiful looking sites uh, twilio for example uh twitter um these have some really sharp looking api doc sites do you have any good examples of api doc sites or and maybe why yeah. Yeah, um, I uh, these are my frenemies uh, at OpenStack and Gentle and and David Kramer and and their colleagues are doing some really good work. I like I like what they do, um, uh, mainly because it's really easy to make it easy to contribute. Um, everything is you know kind of done 
um, uh, it's easy to get their their documentation and and offer your own contributions. They made it an easy way to do that, and their APIs are really I think well documented. So that's the OpenStack. I obviously would be remiss if I didn't say that I think AWS does a good job. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think Google is um, getting better. I I still keep my eye on Google. I like what they do. Sometimes it's it's minimalist, but I like minimalist documentation too. Microsoft is doing really uh, well with Azure. Um, one thing my current company does, Eucalyptus, is we offer schema documentation, which is an easier way to read the schema rather than just in plain XML text, and I like that. In fact, I was I was so excited about that that I tried to get that on AWS, and we, um, over, over objections with one of my colleagues, we went ahead and provided that, and... Two years later, no one was looking at it, so we just dropped it. I thought I had a great idea, but our my new community really wants this, and I was surprised. So, so we're doing that. Citrix is another good one. I think uh, Citrix was a gold standard for a while, I thought. And then, obviously, uh, Twitter, like you mentioned, also. Hmm. So as you're kind of looking at API doc sites um, or other examples, how do you really evaluate documentation without being a developer? I mean, maybe it, it looks clear and organized, but unless you're like the actual developer working in a particular language, how would you know if it's good or clear or not? Well, you know, what I look for is, do they have anything that works right out of the box that I can just try? And so, you know, Google uh, offers that. Uh, Vimeo offered that. I think Twitter has something like that. Even Flickr has an API that you can do that. Um, some of the other ones don't. Uh, it depends on this. It depends on the AWS service. Um, the first AWS service, which is now called Product Application or Pappy or something like that, I can't remember. Um, they had one just to send a URL through, and you could get a list of books or or whatever media they provided. So that that to me, as a as a documentarian, that's what I look at. Is there anything that I can go and see how this works for myself? And then I'm going to look at the rest of your stuff to see whether I want to continue. And now here's one last question. Uh, this is something I've kind of been thinking about, and uh, I'm not really sure what the answer is. It seems like this field, API documentation, requires a lot of continual learning and study, more so than any other sort of tech writing field. Yes. Um, do you, in order to thrive as an API doc writer, do you have to pretty much forego your hobbies and other <laughs> leisure activities as you put your nose in the books and constantly learn programming just to keep up? Or do you get to a point where you kind of are comfortable and don't have to devote all your free time to learning? I don't know about all your free time. I think that uh, it's important to keep up. And so I try to read um, minimal, like, you know, one book every two months, just so, uh, uh, you know, as a bare minimum. And you just chalk that up to your career and, you know, your growth. I mean, if you like what you do, you're going to like learning about it. So to me, that's just, I enjoy reading. I, I, may go up to 10 books a year or something like that, but, you know, just what's going on. And if it's exciting, uh, you know, it doesn't really take that much time. You can get up a, an extra, an hour earlier in the morning or stay up an hour later in the evening if you're a night person and just, you know, put that time into it. It doesn't take much. And, you know, I still 
you know, I have, you know, four kids, so a couple of them are out of the house, but, you know, we still go out and do things and I still, you know, do all my other stuff. So you don't have to give up really that much. <laughs> that's, that's good to hear. Uh, we covered a lot of topics. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on? Any topic that we didn't quite get to? Uh, I don't think so. All right. Well, Scott, do you have, and now this is Scott with a one T. What, what, where's the other T? <laughs> we couldn't afford it. it was 50 bucks. <laughs> um, do you have a website or Twitter handle that you want to, that people can go to, to learn more about you or to ask you questions? I do. The Twitter handle and the website are both Scott Marvin, S-C-O-T-M-A-R-V-I-N, scottmarvin.com and then Scott Marvin on Twitter. Uh, I update my website uh, regularly once a year, whether it needs it or not. So, <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Scott, so much for speaking with me today, and I'm sure listeners will really appreciate all the information you shared. It's been my pleasure, Tom. Thanks for uh, calling. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>